Welcome to episode number 270. Today's episode, I'm going to try to get through without getting choked up or crying. So just prefacing this with that. But I think that today's conversation is a very needed one, especially if you plan on homesteading with any type of livestock or animals. But especially with livestock and if you plan on being able to breed back that livestock so that you have a renewable source of food. So that could obviously be chickens, it could be pigs, it could be beef cattle, it could be dairy cattle, it could be goats. I think you get the general picture. Today specifically, we are going to be talking though about our beef cattle and herd and dealing with things like death when it happens on the homestead, as well as the emotional side of homesteading with animals and a little bit about the emotional side of butchering day. So I'm just going to dive straight in to this episode after I welcome you officially to the podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, a fifth generation homesteader who got back to her roots of using simple modern homesteading for a healthier and more self-sufficient life after a cancer scare in my late 20s. This is the place for you, my friend, if you sometimes wondered if you weren't born a hundred years too late, if you've always thought that you and Laura Ingalls would be best friends, and if you think that every home and kitchen would be better if they were filled with mason jars and cast iron and those things were used daily with homegrown and homemade food. If that is you, then welcome home and welcome to this amazing community of modern pioneers. Many of you know that we raise our own beef cattle here on the homestead. So we typically carry a herd of three cows that we breed back every year. We don't have a bull. We rent stud services, basically. So we will either take some of our cows to my dad's bull, or we have some neighbors that have bulls. My brother has a bull. Sometimes we'll bring the bull onto our pasture. It just depends on which cows we're breeding and when we're needing to switch bulls so that we don't get inbred of bloodlines or if we're trying we want to bring in some new bloodlines maybe work towards a different confirmation or bringing in some new breeds we've been switching we started out with Hereford cows and we have been switching to bringing in some Angus and then we also have a cow that has some Maine Anjou and some Semitol in her she's a, a mixed breed and that is the cow that just had her first baby. So we bought her as a heifer. She was close to a yearling, a little bit below that. And then we raised her, bred her, and she just had her first calf. Now, when a cow has their first calf, you never know exactly how the birthing is going to go. Ideally, you're breeding to bulls that don't throw large-headed calves or large calves at birth. We want smaller calves at birth so that we have less complications. And then you want cows that have a good growth rate. So they are born not too large, but then they grow relatively quickly so that they're of a good size, good confirmation, and with beef cattle, have a lot of meat right on the hoof. That's, that's the purpose of them. 
I grew up on a cattle farm. So I have been raising cattle with my parents since my dad had cows before I was born all throughout my childhood. And then my husband and I started raising our own cows for our own herd. Oh my goodness gracious, probably 15 plus years. And most of the time, we have very little issues with our cows giving birth, even when they are first-time moms. But we had a first-time mom, and we did not think she was showing slight dilation, and her bag was starting to milk up, but we did not think that she was going to birth. So we went to the lake. It was a really hot day here in the Pacific Northwest. We were getting into the 90s and we actually broke records and got over 102 degrees and we don't have air conditioning. So we went to the lake to spend the afternoon because it was super hot out. When we got back, the cow had given birth. She had just given birth. I hope this isn't too graphic for y'all. I don't think so. But anyways, the afterbirth was still present. She hadn't even expelled all the afterbirth. So I share that with you so that you know she had literally just had this baby calf. And so we always stand back. We don't ever intervene unless needed. The, the less that you intervene with a cow and her new calf is best. So we were watching. One, we have to see if it's a bull or not because we aren't keeping any bulls. And so if the cow calf is born a bull, then we castrate it into a steer. And it's easier to do it when they are very young. They're easy to catch. You want to do it before they've started to really develop testosterone. That's been our practices. So we were waiting to see how mom and baby were doing, and then we were going to see if it was a bull. And if so, then we would catch it right away. And we banned it. We used the practice of banning is how we castrate our cows. So we were watching and she had just had it. It was still wet, had not been cleaned yet. And she started headbutting this baby it would stand up and every time it tried to take a step back to nurse which you need those babies to nurse as soon as possible as soon as they're born they need to get the colostrum in them from the mom because when you have herds and just the ground there's bacteria and when a calf is born their stomach lining is super open so it's great for them to get the colostrum because then they get all of the antibodies that they need so that they are sufficiently protected against things like e coli and salmonella things to just live out in pastures no matter what and they need to get it within the first 12 hours, ideally, but really within the first two to four hours of being born. But it's a must within the first 12 hours of birth. They really need to get that colostrum in there. Um, after once a day has passed from birth and the stomach lining begins to close. So even if you give them the colostrum, if it's too late, it really doesn't get absorbed into the stomach. So that's why there's plus you want them to get hydrated and, you know, the nutrients and everything. So that being said, we always watch to see that they get up on their feet and that they start nursing relatively quick from the time that the cow has the baby. So we were watching. But every time this little calf would get up and try to walk back towards the back of the mom to nurse, she would headbutt it. And I mean headbutt it so hard that it would fall to the ground. We're like, oh man. And sometimes with new moms, they won't always take their babies or they're confused. They don't know what to do. So you kind of just wait because sometimes they'll they'll settle down. So we were watching and it just continued to get worse. She got to the point where the calf wouldn't even walk towards her. It would just stand up and she would headbutt it until it would fall down. And the last time she did it, she headbutted this baby so hard that it went and fell and it fell where its back legs like sprawled out. Like basically it did the splits with its back legs. And we're like, we have got to separate them. She's going to kill this calf or seriously injure it. So we got the calf in a pen. And got it separated from its mom, which is not ideal. 
we never had, I've never had a cow reject a calf in my personal experience to this degree where we had to do this. So we got the baby separated. Unfortunately, by this time it's late evening. All of the feed stores are closed, which means I can't go get a baby bottle or a colostrum from any stores until the following day. This was on a Saturday evening and it needs to get colostrum in it before then. So Thankfully, my dad had a bottle on hand, a calf bottle. So we got that from him. And we have some local ranchers who are amazing, amazing people. They have a large ranch. It's their business, but they are so generous. I called them up and they keep colostrum on hand. Thank the good Lord. And lesson learned, we also do now too. And I was able to go and get colostrum from them and a small bag of milk replacement to get us through until the stores were open again and I could go and get our own supply. So they were so kind and generous. I am so thankful. If you live in the area that I live in, which is Skagit County in Washington State, it's Ovenel's Heritage Inn and Ranch, and they are amazing people. So I'm totally giving them a shout out. They have a bed and breakfast that you can go and stay on the ranch that's beautiful with cabins. So I'm just giving them um, so much thanks and gratitude because they were so helpful. So we got the colostrum, got it home, got the bottles made up, and and the baby took the colostrum. And so that was all great. We did two doses, which is what you need. You need to get a, a total of four co- four quarts, excuse me, into the baby um, within those first 12 hours right after birth, ideally. And then again, so we did that, and he took the bottle. He drank it all down, was doing good. Um, we had to clean him off the afterbirth. She wouldn't even clean him. So we got him all the way cleaned up and stimulated and stuff before nightfall and got him bedded in with some straw for the night. Well, the interesting thing was, and we did try to let the mom back in again after we got him cleaned up and the colostrum in him from the first bottle, We because ideally you want that mom and baby to be to be bonded together and for her to be raising it. So we let her back in because she kept coming over to the pen and mooing and calling to the cow, which is a good sign. She was calling to her calf and she was showing interest. So we let her back in, but she continued that behavior. And then because he was in a, in a pin, she was throwing him against the fence and then she banged him against the walls. And so we had to put her back out again. It's like, okay, sometimes they will settle down though. So the following morning we went out, um, gave him some more colostrum to make sure that he got that second dose. And then we went to town, got a full thing of milk replacer. So we had it on hand, our own bottle. And then when we came back, um, actually went to church my, and the kids and my husband went in and got those supplies. And when we came back, the mom, again, was still showing a lot of interest. So we brought her back into the pen and we stayed in the pen with her and the baby. So every time she came over to the baby, if she tried to headbutt it, we would push her head away and not allow her to do it. It was like training someone. This is not OK behavior. Seriously. Um, and so then she stopped that. And she began licking the baby, which is cleaning it, which is very stimulating. And it's a really good thing. It helps them bond. It's showing that she's accepting the calf. And it's really um, ideal for the calf because that licking motion, all of that stuff stimulates the baby, gets them up and moving and is really great. So we watched them. I stayed in the pen with them for about an hour to make sure she didn't revert and start to show any signs of aggression where we would have to step in, but continued to let them bond to one another, which was all going really great. 
after about an hour of that, it was getting really hot. That was the day we topped out in above 100 degrees. And that pan didn't have very much shade. So we let them out just into our top pasture where there was shade. And we pretty much watched them all day. We have a little swimming above ground swimming pool that we set up in the summer. And so we hung out in the pool and just watched them across the pasture. And the mom continued to clean it. She wasn't aggressive to it anymore. But she didn't really seem to figure out how to get that baby back to nurse. She didn't she was having some problems. So we kept an eye on him and, you know, so many hours went by and he didn't nurse. So we brought him a bottle, give him some milk replacement um, to keep him hydrated. We tried to go as long as possible within still safety realms though. So that ideally he would be hungry and try to eat on mom. So we did that for that day and left them out together and they did fine. And then the next morning, which was Monday morning. So the calf was like a day and a half old when we got up, we saw him nursing on mom, which was super exciting. That's ideal. So we're really excited, but he didn't nurse very long. So we weren't sure how much he got. Again, it was a really hot day. So we tried to go for so many hours without giving him a bottle in hopes that he would nurse again, but it was really hot out and he wasn't. So we went out and we just gave him a small bottle of replacement formula. And then we noticed in like a couple hours later, now, mind you, it was super hot out, but he seemed really lethargic. He was on his feet, but he wasn't moving around very much. So we went out and he just didn't seem to be very perky. And so we gave him a little bit of water um, because, it, like I said, it was super hot out and we weren't sure how much milk he got other than the bottle we had given him. So we gave him a little bit of water. He drank really well from a bucket. It's a surprise, but newborn cows will drink water from a bucket and it, it's fine to keep them hydrated. We also noticed that he had a lot of loose stool. It wasn't full on diarrhea and baby calf stool when they're first passing, you know, all the stuff like a newborn baby, it won't be really solid stool form yet. But it was very runny and it was yellow and yellowish mustard in color. So we kind of just kept an eye on him and he drank that water and then he laid down. And, I, and we thought, well, we'll come back out in an hour because he just drank this water. And then we'll see about giving him a bottle if we don't see that he's gotten up and nursed again to get some more nutrients into him. Well, within an hour, we went out and he developed really like just runny smelly diarrhea. It turned to like a bright yellow and then was clear liquid. He was laid out on the ground. I've never seen in my life a calf go down that quickly. Never. And so we tried to get him to drink from the bottle, tried to get him to stand up. He would stand up with support, but he really, he just would not suckle. And so we were trying to get formula in him. And like I said, he'd been standing up an hour prior to that and drinking. He couldn't stand up. He kept falling down. So we laid him back down. You could hear his little tummy. You could just hear it like making all kinds of noises and spasming. And he had horrible diarrhea. And I'm not kidding you. His eyes were rolling back in his head. I'm going to try not to cry. And we thought he would be dead within minutes. I, I've just never seen a calf go that fast. And so I'm bawling. <laughs> Um, the kids weren't home at the time. They were at friends' playing. Um, and it, this probably seems funny because this is a cow that would become a steer. He was a bull that we would be butchering to eat in two years' time. And we'd only had him two days. And normally, I do not get attached to our livestock that I know is for food. So when it comes to our meat birds and when it comes to our pigs, I mean, we give them the very best care. They are so well cared for beyond anything in a factory farm, but I do not allow myself to form attachments to them. 
But this little calf, because he was a baby, he was only two days old, and we had been stepping in and rescuing him, and we're just so vested in in this calf. I was really shocked, but I was very upset. Um, I don't know that I've ever been that emotionally tied to an animal in such a short period of time. And so I was sitting with this little calf and we were certain that within, you know, the next 20 minutes that he was going to pass. So I was sitting with him out in the field, my husband and I, because I didn't want him to die alone. And this may sound silly to some of you, but I just didn't want him to die alone. I wanted him to know that someone was there for him. And so I was praying over this calf and just being there for him and watching him just decline. And after about 20 minutes, he lifted his head up and he put it on my leg. And it was just that sign that if he had enough energy to do that, then maybe the vet had enough time to get here. Now, when a calf declines that fast and is a newborn and gets the scours like that, it can be it can be hard and a long road if they make it or not. And I am aware of that because I have been raised with cattle and we've raised cattle for a long time. And usually this happens when the mother rejects them and they do not get the colostrum from the mother, which he had gotten colostrum in, in the form of like formula, right? But it's still not the exact same. So I called the vet and of course it was after hours, right? It's always after hours, which means um, you pay more. You pay an after hours call and mileage and like emergency type stuff for them to come out. But I knew that there was no way with the amount of diarrhea that this little guy was expelling, we didn't have a way to take him down there. And I didn't want to take him away from his mom if he did, in fact, make it. I wanted him to stay as close to her as possible so they could continue bonding. But he was too weak. He couldn't suckle. He couldn't stand. So I called the vet and I explained the situation. And the vet's like, yeah, I can definitely come out. And by that time, he had passed some more diarrhea and it had a little bit of blood in it. So we knew at that point, if we saw the blood, that it was an infection that it wasn't just sometimes when they're switching from the colostrum and it's a hot day like that and they're switching from colostrum to the milk replacement, it can upset their stomach. But when we saw those signs, then we knew that this was an infection that had happened in his intestines. So the vet said, I will get supplies. But where we live so rurally, it takes the vet well over an hour one way to get to us. And it was that kind of touch or go thing. We didn't know if he would make it an hour, but I said to the vet, I said, yes, just come out. I'm aware of the extra fees, but I'll know that I did everything possible. Um, if you come out and he doesn't make it and then I can have peace was my thought process. So the vet said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go out. I'll grab supplies, head your way. Call me if you change your mind, which was basically code for call me if the calf perishes before I get there. And I said, yes, I, I will keep you appraised of the situation if, if things change. So, so the vet comes and now you may not be a spiritual person. You might not be a Christian and that's totally fine. But I firmly believe that the Lord gave that calf strength and revived him enough that he made it until the vet got to our farm. So he got here well after hours, came and inspected him. 
Um, he said, surprisingly, he wasn't as dehydrated as he thought, which was a really good sign. We did have to tube him. So my husband and I both know how to tube an animal now, a cow, I should say, and a calf. I'd never done that before. And he left us with the tubing equipment in the bag so that if something like that were to happen again, we could tube an animal. We got electrolytes in him. He gave him two types of antibiotics, which I do not use any antibiotics in our meat that we're raising to eat. But if it's the animal lives or dies, I am not opposed to using antibiotics to save their life. We don't use antibiotics in our normal meat production because our animals are very healthy and don't have need of antibiotics. But I just wanted to preface that. So give him antibiotics because he definitely had an infection. He had a fever, took his temperature, showed me how the temperature ranges for newborn calves versus adult calves. Um, so it was a very educational experience as well, which was good. We went through uh, quite a bit of different things. Um, I've never had a calf that we had to bottle feed. We've always had the mom accept them. So in the event that the mom rejected him or dried up before he could nurse, we were going through protocol and, and best practices um, to raising him. So he got a fever reducer and he got his antibiotics and then he got the electrolytes via a tube from his mouth that you, you thread down into the stomach. And got the electrolytes in him. And within an hour, he was perked up. He tried to stand a couple of times, so it was too weak, but was definitely perked up. And so we went out at night. He was still with his mama. So then we went out right before bedtime, tried to feed him a little bit of formula. He drank just a little bit, but he really wasn't having any of it. But he had gotten so much of the electrolytes through the tube feeding that, that it was okay. He was doing okay. So this morning, I'm recording this for you this morning. This is all very fresh. So this morning got up and went out with a bottle to feed him again, to make sure he stays hydrated and to check on him. And I'm looking out, getting ready, got to have the bottle mixed up and I'm going out first thing in the morning. And I look out the window and he was nursing. And I know this is such simple things. And you're probably like, Melissa, my goodness, why are you such an emotional case over this? But it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And he was full on nursing. I went, I left him be. He nursed for over 15 minutes. And I went out after he was done nursing and checked her bag to make sure that her teats were uh, wrinkly and wet, that they weren't swollen and, and smooth. If they're swollen and smooth, then that means the calf didn't actually empty anything out. And two of her teats, he had completely drained that area. Um, and so it was super exciting. I cried a little. I'm still crying, if you can't tell, <laughs> but happy tears. And so I've been checking on him all day today. Um, much, much less diarrhea, just a little bit of runny stool. We're definitely keeping a close eye on him. I still have electrolytes. We still have the tube. I still have all the things just in case, but he's been nursing all day long. He ran. I feel like a new mom. I really do. He ran five steps like literally ran and bounced across the field, which was amazing. I've, I've never seen a calf go down that fast and I've never seen one bounce back that fast. But I share all of this with you because there was a really good chance that we would have lost him. And that is a part of this homesteading life. And it's a hard part. It hurts. And, you know, we have not I've lost chickens in the past. We ourselves, within our personal herd, we haven't lost any cattle and haven't lost any of our pigs, but I've definitely lost chickens. And the irony is not lost on me <laughs> that in two years we will still be butchering this 
bull calf who will be a steer. We're not going to band him until after he's fully recovered. We don't want to add any stress onto him. So we're going to wait and band him, which is fine if we wait a week to band him. It's not a big deal uh, to before we make him into a steer. But when they're babies, <laughs> it's a good thing they don't stay babies. That's all I have to say. Once they are adults and you're not caretaking with them like the level you are when you are bottle feeding an infant and checking on it, even if it's a newborn calf, you know, hourly almost, it's different and I can distance myself from it. Now, I still have to say on butcher day and we butcher our own meat birds. So we're physically butchering, processing them. It all takes place on the homestead and we do it ourselves. Um, the cattle and the pigs, we have butchered the pigs before if we're doing a full pig roast, but if we're wanting to put it into the freezer and especially for the cattle, we don't have a time frame, even in the fall and winter, where we are at appropriate temperatures to allow the cattle, especially to hang and to age. Minimum, we like to age the cattle 21 days. It gives it, it the flavor becomes developed and the texture is much, much more tender on aged beef, especially when it's 100% grass-fed beef like ours are. So you definitely want, it's called dry aging, but it's in cold storage. And ideally, at least 21 days, provided there's enough fat layer on the animal in order to do it. If they don't have a lot of fat layer, usually two weeks. But ideally, 21 days, like minimum. And the flavor difference and the texture difference is just amazing when that happens. But we don't have naturally occurring 21 days where it stays cool enough here in the Pacific Northwest reliably in order to be able to do that, which is why we use a local butcher who comes on site, kills the animals, gets them, and then takes them to the butcher, um, hangs them when it comes to the meat for the aging, cuts them up to our request. We go and pick it up. You don't hang an aged pork, but we still, again, I just don't have the facility space to do it. Like my kitchen's not that big. We don't have, we just don't have the the space to do it. So right now that that's how we're handling that part. So I share that with you to say like I on butcher day, I can handle butchering the meat birds just fine. We butcher them. Our children help in the process. We're very thankful for what they provide for us. And we give them the absolute best care in life up until that point, And even during that butchering process, that is possible. And when it comes to the cattle and the pigs on butchering day, it is a beautiful thing, but it is still a little bit, I don't want to say sad necessarily, but, you know, I, I don't enjoy hearing the kill shot. It's not like anybody takes enjoyment. They shouldn't take enjoyment out of that. It's not like you take enjoyment out of that, but you appreciate what the animal is giving you and your family. You have invested time and care and you know that that animal has lived its absolute best life on your farm and on your homestead and under your care compared to anything would happen when you're buying that beef from the store. And so it gives you a sense of peace and appreciation wrapped up with a little bit of tenderheartedness, I guess you would call it, with not remorse. I'm not even sure I know the word to use for it, but you do feel a twinge. At least I do. I don't, that part, I'm glad when the kill part is over, but then I'm very, very thankful for the meat that we have. And I don't have any problem cooking it, consuming it, working with it, etc. But there is 
there isn't an emotional side to it. Maybe not for everybody. I'm sure there's some people that, that don't feel that at all and they just have no problem and it's just, you know, their livestock and their meat and, and everything like that. But I think for most people, you do feel a little bit of something on butcher day, but it's such a, it sounds so weird to say that it's beautiful, but it, it really is. And I think that there's something to be said that we're missing when we're not connected to it. I would much rather feel that connection and even the hard times, even those times where you're going to lose a life, but to be able to be a part of it, I think it's really a beautiful thing. So I wanted to share that with you because homesteading has so many wonderful things about it, but we don't always talk about the hard things. A lot of times, because I think it's human nature, we like to jump to the aftershock, right? We like to jump to the freezer full of meat that has been raised, that is grass-fed, no hormones, no GMOs, that we did ourselves and knowing that we're self-sufficient and the flavor is amazing. I have to say the flavor of homegrown food, meat, always surpasses anything we've ever gotten from the store. But there are the hard parts. And they don't happen all the time. My husband and I have been raising cattle for 15 years and have never went through anything like this. When I was a little girl, my dad had a much larger head. He had about 120 head when I was really little. And then as I grew older, he kind of brought the herd down some and didn't keep quite as many cattle. And I would say out of that 100, 120 head when I was little, you know, maybe every other year he would have a calf that either the mom would be, usually it was more the mom during childbirth, something happened, childbirth, sorry not childbirth, cow, cow birth, but something would happen during the birthing process with the, the mama cow that she would either, she would die or she wouldn't physically be able to when you have a herd that large. Um, sometimes just things like that would happen. But out of a herd that size, we would maybe, like I said, one calf, maybe every two to three years. One year we had a bull that we didn't know was going to throw such really large calves. And so we did have one year where they hit that bull through such large calves when I was growing up that we had a couple of calves that we actually had to bottle feed because the mom didn't make it through the birthing process, but the calf did. So I say that so that this isn't a super, this isn't an occurrence that happens all the time. It is fairly rare, but there'll be other circumstances that things just happen beyond our control and we do our absolute best. And this one actually so far has had a very good outcome. Like I said, the baby, he is up and nursing. We'll be very monitoring him throughout this next week to make sure that the infection does not come back, that he doesn't get dehydrated, that he's nursing and still bonding with mom and all of that. But there's the hard times. There are hard times with homesteading. But it makes the good times all that much more special. So I just wanted to share that with you. That was is what was going on in our homestead and what we've been dealing with the past couple of days. And I think it's important for you to know that that is the real life on a homestead and a real reality that we don't gloss over it. And so I thought it fitting for the verse of the week. This is a verse that actually, while I was praying and sitting with the baby, that came to me. And it's Matthew 10, chapter 29, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 30. Are not two little sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's leave, consent, and notice. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And while I was sitting there praying over this little calf, 
and many other things, praying for lots of things as, as I was going through that time. That verse came to mind and it reminded me that he sees everything and I might not know. And if that calf had died and it could still die, I might not really know why. Like, what purpose did that serve? I might not ever know that this side of heaven. I went through that when I lost my own baby. I had an ectopic pregnancy. My first pregnancy was a tubal pregnancy, and I lost that child early on, obviously in gestation. It was only about 10 weeks. But I struggled with that too. And actually, I cannot believe I'm bearing all of this, but one of my thoughts was, well, if this little calf passes, my baby and it will be reunited in heaven. And someday I will be reunited in heaven with them too. And it was actually very comforting. So I don't know what you're dealing with. But I do know that the Lord sees it. It doesn't escape his notice. And he loves us. And he's there for us. And he is good. And someday we will get to see all of the things that we can't see now. And it will be beautiful. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining me for this episode. Thank you for allowing me to share my heart. And the tears. <laughs> and just life. I really do appreciate you and feel very blessed to be able to share with you. And I will see you back here for our next episode next week.